0: Starting this whole series, and really this whole semester we're in, 1 Peter, Peter's first letter to the church. And the series is A Living Hope, Becoming People of. And uh, today we want to talk about pe- becoming people of holiness. Around 63 AD, Peter wrote this letter that was given to the kind of the, the scattered churches throughout what was then called Asia Minor, which is now present-day Turkey. And these These believers um, were in a a place, a part of the world, in a a time where it was increasingly more and more difficult to be a Christian. They were getting hit from all sides. They were getting hit from from work where they were ostracized, and from home, from their own families. Um, Persecution, all-out suffering was about to, to break out on the people in this region. And so Peter writes this letter to remind the church who they are and where they are. Last week we just kind of launched straight into the letter and in the first few verses Peter reminds them and us that we are chosen exiles. And last week we said that chosen means that we've been we've been chosen by the Father, we've been sanctified by the Spirit, we've been been pardoned and redeemed and cleansed by the Son, we've been given a new identity, a new purpose, we belong. And that means two things for us. Can you go to that next slide? Yeah. That means um, both that we must continually be reminded of that story and let the gospel shape our lives, but also that we must be in community with each other. Belonging to Jesus means that we belong to what the New Testament calls the body of Christ, and that each part has its own significance, and its own worth, and its own value, and its own role. We are exiles, and that means that as outliers, we work for the transformation of whatever present zip code we find ourselves. But our citizenship, our ultimate loyalty, is in a different kingdom, and that means two things for us. Last week we talked about that. That means a personal cost that inevitably... Being a follower of Jesus will be in conflict with your culture and with your campus and with your family. And that also means that there is a distinctive way to be in exile as believers. And the way we leverage our time and the way we leverage our influence and our relationships and our work is for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. And so now everything that you do has a bigger purpose. Than what you thought. So Peter ends that greeting with grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then he breaks out in worship. And this is really the the theme verse for our year, for our uh, time together. Verse three Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And so I didn't want to pick up where we left off last week and Rick already read this verse for us this morning. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13. If you have a Bible, if you can go there, if you have a phone, you can go there. Um, if you want to just look at the screen, we've got you covered, okay? First Peter 1:13. Peter says, therefore Therefore, throughout the New Testament, that's a big deal when you see a therefore. It's it's a bit of a a hinge verse, a hinge point. It moves from this is what is true to this is what we should be doing in light of what is true. In light of what God has done for us through Christ, in light of the living hope and the eternal inheritance that we have in him, in light of who we are, are and where we are as chosen exiles this is what we are to do this is your identity this is your future hope this is your reality this is how you respond and live and love in light of that and so he lays out four things in this passage that i think are super important for us today four things set our hope fully on the grace of jesus secondly to be holy to love one another earnestly or deeply, and crave what nourishes your life in Christ. So throughout this short letter, Peter keeps calling us back to live consistently with who we are in Christ and reflect that grace in how we live. These are commands. These are imperatives. And sometimes we don't like that, you know. I, I don't. I don't know where you are on on the whole kind of. Um, compliance versus rebellion spectrum. Some of us, it's like, you tell me something to do, you tell me what to do, uh, I, you get lost, you know? It's like, don't you dare tell me what to do. Some of us, it's like, yeah, whatever you wanna do, I'll just do it, you know? And, and so, wherever you are on that compliance, kinda like uh, the difference between Alexa and uh, the GPS, right? Alexa, we were out in, in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and they, they use Alexa for everything. Alexa, turn down the lights. <laughs> Alexa, go brush my teeth. You know, it's like, it's like I, was, I was looking, there was an article yesterday, some things that you might not realize that you can tell Alexa to do. And one was flatter you. And I thought, how sad our society <laughs> has come to that. Alexa, tell me how good I am. You know? So you have Alexa on, on one side. GPS is kind of the other, you know? It's GPS. It's, it's like they, they tell you what to do. Turn left at the next intersection. You screwed up. You kept going straight. Turn About now, make a U-turn and go back to where I told you the first time. You know, I mean, it's like GPS just kind of gets in your head and just kind of just like pounds, pounds, pounds directions. And it's no wonder there's road rage. It's all because of that voice, you know. So somewhere between compliance and and rebellion, somewhere between Alexa and that stupid GPS voice, it's like, where do we reside in regards to commandments and imperatives. And so before we get into these four commands, I just want to remind us of this really cool verse in 1 John. Um, John says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Verse 13, therefore, this hinge in light of what is true with minds that are alert and fully sober this is the first commandment set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when jesus christ is revealed at his coming First commandment is first command that Peter gives, first imperative is to set our hope fully on grace. It's not on effort, it's not on your ability to fix it, it's not on your ability to solve problems, it's it's not a hope that is on people or politic or GPA or life plans. It's a hope that is set, that is fixated on the grace of God. Grace says that we could never be good enough, and so instead of earning it, we simply receive it. It's a good gift. It's a gift that is really hard for some of us to receive. My my grandma, her name was Neva, she was about this tall, she was so sweet. You can never give her a gift because she would always one up you, you know? It's like, grandma, it's your birthday, you don't have to give me a gift back. Shut up. Here, take it. Take $20. You know, that's not how she talked at all. I don't know where that voice even came from. Grace is hard because it's, it's being on the receiving end, really realizing that there's nothing we can do to earn it. Grace has a habit of breaking cycles of sin, but also grace has a habit of breaking cycles of self-righteousness. Grace not only saves us, but it allows us to live. Our hope is in, in uh, living past, present, and future. Our, our hope is living in the past, because it is anchored in the past event of the resurrection. In the, in the future, because it looks forward to the fulfillment, the consummation, the, the restoration of all things when Jesus returns. But it is also in real time in that grace affects every single moment of every single day, every single decision, everything that we are about. Living hope is not wishful thinking. So for those of of us in this room, or in that room, or in that room, or that room, or that room, that that have yet to set our hope on Jesus, Peter's just giving an invitation. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will bring what you are looking for except the hope that is found in Jesus. So if that's you... This is the starting point. This is the beginning of the year, beginning of the semester. What an awesome way to launch into this year by saying, Yes, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior and Redeemer of my life. I want what you've got. And Jesus says, Yes. For those of us who have already put our hope in Christ and the resurrection, Peter encourages a continuation fully fixed on 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 coming and present grace and, and not the hope in things that don't satisfy and don't bring fulfillment. So grace grace is both now and not yet. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that it's it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's by grace that we live, but there's also this this future grace when Jesus returns. And so Peter writes with Minds that are alert and fully sober. Sober goes beyond just not being plastered. It's being attentive to a couple of things. One is attentive to any sort of confusion that would distract us from the living hope. And and also being attentive to what God is actually calling us into. Being sober, being alert, being attentive is an awareness of the enemy's desire to bring disillusionment and distortion to truth, but as Peter will say in a couple of chapters, it is also an awareness and an alertness, an attentiveness, a clarity, so that we can pray. So there's both this kind of this protection with sober attentiveness, but also it is. The context with which we do the kingdom work. Does that make sense? Stay sober. For lots of reasons. So in this hinge verse, Peter is encouraging us to think and to act in a way that is aligned with the reality of our identity in Christ, fully engaged and then systematically arranging every bit of our lives around that hope. Verse 14. As obedient children, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because God is holy. This is the the second command for us today. God is holy. He is separate. He is transcendent. He is sacred. He is other. Holy just means other. Set apart. And we, we were created to reflect his holiness. The Bible uses the word to describe um, uh, the normal everydayness of the follower of God as a saint. So you, if you are in Jesus, are saints. And that's based completely on what God has done. You've been set apart. You've been chosen. You've been called into a life that is different. Here's a quote from John Stott. Holiness will show itself as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as instruments of righteousness. And then our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our hands will rescue those who are sinking in the mire of their sin and brokenness. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. Our eyes will look humbly and patiently toward God and reflect his grace and compassion. Holiness shows up in everything that we do. Here are three things about holiness. Holiness is an act of obedience. Jesus said in John 14 that obedience is an overflow of love and trust. So holiness is always in response to grace, not an initiation or a prerequisite for grace. Holiness, secondly, is being conformed to Jesus, not to the evil desires you had pre-Jesus. So it is a a realignment of not just our behaviors, but our actual opinions, our motivations, our worldview, our, our perceptions to what God says is truly true. In other words, it's relating to the world on God's terms and not on the world's terms. Thirdly, holiness encompasses your whole life. Peter says, be holy in all that you do. That means no compartments. You know when you you go over to someone's house or apartment or maybe at your own house growing up, um, if you had company, there, there were certain doors, there are certain doors that always remain closed. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, so the, the living room and the, the kitchen looks so clean and hospitable. And then you uh, you you need to go to the restroom. You're not sure which door is the restroom. And so you start to head toward this door. And there's a scream from the other side of the room going, no! Really, they're just trying to save your life because everything that was in the living room and the kitchen now has been shoved into the closet. That room is off limits, Right. Holiness is an open-door policy to all the rooms of your heart and mind. Nothing is off-limits to the grace and truth of Christ. Holiness has always been the way of God, the way of God's people. And so we are called to be holy as He is holy. We mimic those that we desire to follow and So Peter describes what this looks like in another run-on sentence. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. I'm going to come back to that passage in just a bit. But I want to go on and hit this third command. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So this is the third command. This is the third imperative for us this morning. Love one another deeply. Another translation says earnestly with everything that you've got. In this part of the letter, Peter moves from talking about us being chosen exiles to really our interactions with each other. Life within the Christian community. And what he says is it's impossible to live the life of a Christian in autonomy, in isolation. Living in right relationship with God is always attached to living in right relationship with each other. Have you ever known someone who uh, seemed holy and, and pious and knew scripture inside and out, and yet they were uh, a, a, a real jerk? You know, they, they, they treated you like crap? And didn't that feel hypocritical? This would be yes, and It's because it was hypocritical. Pharisees were known to get the holiness part right, but there was no humility. There was no love. There was not the key ingredient of grace. So love for others, Peter writes, always stems from our lives having already been set apart in truth. Because we've been given a new nature, we can relate to each other in a way that reflects that nature, in the way that God relates to us. So now that we know Jesus, how we treat people is different, or at least it should be, from how we used to treat people. Let me give you a couple of examples. Pre-Jesus versus now living infused with the presence of Jesus. Instead of being formed by our insecurities, we are being formed by the Holy Spirit. Instead of morphing into whatever someone else wants us to be, we know who we are in Christ. Instead of being concerned with what we can get from people, now now we are free to love them and serve them and to give to them forgiveness and truth physical, meeting their their material needs. New life comes from the word of God through the cross. Peter says, apart from Christ, life is short, it's fading. Life in Christ is eternal. His word stands forever. This hope is living. And so this inner transformation changes not only the state of our lives, moving from a state of sin to a state of righteousness, but it also affects how we treat each other. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, get rid of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. Throw off anything that would kill relationships. Get rid of hypocrisy, like pretending to be someone's friend and then talking smack about them behind their back. Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of jealousy. Get rid of malicious talk. Quit being a jerk. growth in our relationship with God is always tied to growth in our relationship with each other. You can't separate it. Finally, chapter 2, verse 2. This is the fourth command. Like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you've tasted that the Lord is good. Grow in Christ by craving what will nourish you spiritually. That's the fourth imperative. Crave what will make you grow. Crave the living and enduring word of God. But even more than that, crave God. Don't just crave knowledge about him. Crave him. Chapter 1, verse 3 is what we read last week. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. So crave what will make you grow in that new birth. He says, now that you've tasted, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, get rid of all the stuff that tastes bad. Uh-uh. I I'm I'm not a foodie. My friend Dave is a foodie. I mean, he he knows how to cook. I this is this is how I cooked before I got married. I I cooked chicken in a microwave. It's it's very sad. It's a sad sad story. Sad story. I have your empathy. But I appreciate good food, you know? I just didn't know any better. But when you taste what's good, it's like, oh, I don't want that crap anymore, you know? I grew up, my my parents uh, just drank lots and lots of coffee. So I, I get that naturally. But it was bad coffee. And I had no idea until I tasted real coffee. And then that was like sewage, you know? It's like now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, don't mess around with the stuff that tastes awful. He's moving us into this whole life discipleship. You've tasted God's goodness, so crave. Crave the Lord by taking on his practices and his character and his love and his holiness, his grace and truth. Because that's what will grow you. That's what will sustain you. That's what you really want. That is what will satisfy. Four commands. Four imperatives. I want to come back to this verse 17. We're going to lead into a time of communion. If you are helping serve communion today, that's your cue. Let's look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. He says, live out your life as a chosen exile in reverent fear. He gives three reasons. Because the Father is an impartial judge of each person's life, including yours and mine. Because we've been redeemed from our old way of life in a really costly way through the blood of Jesus. And thirdly, because your faith and your hope are part of God's eternal plan. And so we are to live this thing out in holy fear, in reverent fear, fear of the Lord. It's not dread. It's not anxious fear. It's not stressful fear. It's reverent awe mixed with humble confidence. Tozer wrote, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not to be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. This is the both and nature of being children of God. Intimacy and awe. I cringe when I hear people talking about God or Jesus in terms like "the man upstairs" or "Jesus is my homeboy." Or uh, it, it marginalizes the glory and the majesty of God. Scripture says He lives in unapproachable light, and yet He invites us to come close. Pew! The good and graceful Father as judge. That picture of him, the good and graceful Father as judge, that keeps us from taking this good gift of grace and abusing it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to abuse grace when I realize how much he loves. I want to respond to that grace in a way that brings him honor and glory and love. We've been brought into an intimate relationship but also into a life of holiness. We have been redeemed. And that's a that's a phrase that or a word that people in this culture 63 AD would have known really well because it was a culture of slavery You could be bought bought out of slavery, but that price was steep. And Peter says, that's exactly right. Redemption was costly, but you are worth it. It's for you, he said. Peter writes that our redemption comes through the blood of Jesus, not from gold or silver, and that the redemption through the blood of Jesus is costly all through this, he's highlighting. This is, this is the way it was pre-Jesus. You tasted that, and the taste that you got left with, ah, it's bitter. But now you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What we thought was freedom, we realize now was not actually freedom at all, but actually was the stuff that put us into bondage. What we thought would bring satisfaction didn't bring satisfaction. In fact, it left us feeling really empty and alone. What we thought would bring intimacy left us isolated. What we thought would bring us life actually was killing our souls. And now that we've tasted the good stuff, the old stuff seems, well, old, stale, empty. Look at this quote from Tim Chester The essence of holiness is not new behavior, activity, or disciplines. There is new activity and there is new, there is spiritual practices, but that's the essence of holiness is new affections, new desires, new longings, new motives. And then those things lead to a new behavior. If you don't see your sin as completely pardoned, then your affections, desires, and motives will be wrong. You will aim to prove yourself. Your focus will be the consequences of your sin rather than hating the sin itself and desiring God. Peter says, Jesus was chosen. Verbiage that reflects verse 2, that you and I, we were chosen. But, But Jesus was chosen to take the weight of our sin. Jesus was chosen to die in our place. God's plan was this all along. This wasn't a plan B. This wasn't that that. God was scrambling to make things right, there was only one way to make it right. There was only one sacrifice that could make it right, and there was only one blood that could actually cleanse the sin of humanity. And so, now that you've tasted (laughs) hinge, (laughs) we get to live it. Our eyes fixated on the grace of God. Every week we take communion together, which is a celebration of that grace. It is—it's a, a sacrament. In that, Jesus said, "As often as you do this, you remember." Me, you—you you remember what I have done. You remember my presence. You remember my sacrifice. And so, I'm always a bit torn. You know, I, I grew up in a church that it was—it was almost like a funeral dirge, and we were—we were kind of um, um, invited, uh, suggested that we—we we need to take. Uh, really assessment of our, our lives and any, any sin that we've done for this week, we, we better get right with God during this communion time. And there is a, there's an element of that. There's an element of reflection and an element of just confession that we need to be people who regularly confess our sins, both to the Lord and to one another. There's a, an element of repentance but this is, uh, this is a meal. <laughs> Originally, it was around a, a big meal with lots of foodies. You know, I mean, it, it was part of this agape meal, this love meal of God's people. And in the, in the mi- midst of really good food, just like the night before Jesus was crucified, that was in the midst of a feast. But Jesus said, take this bread and take this cup. This, these, these two parts of the meal that are everyday parts. But I'm going to put some new significance on them. That every time you take this together, there's a, there's a new meaning to it. Because you will remember my body that was broken for you. And you will remember my blood that was shed for you. So in in a very similar way that when I look at my wedding ring, there there is more meaning to that than just a, a piece of really kind of cheap metal. That is the weightiness, the joy, the freedom, the 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 intimacy of my relationship is this is a reminder. This is a reminder of the vow that I've made, but also the vow that's been made to me. So we come to communion. It's not just a chiclet-sized piece of stale cracker and a little shot glass of Welch's. No. There's a weightiness to this. There's a also a freedom in this. So we're going to actually take it and and hold it. And we're going to keep the lights up. Still invite you to just spend some time with the Lord, but we're spending the time with the Lord with each other this morning. Okay. God, thank you for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you for your love that is deep. Thank you for your holiness, Father, that you live in unapproachable light and yet you draw us close. Thank you for the vow that you have made to us through Christ. Thank you that this hope is real and living. And so we just want to respond to your grace by how we live, but also... Taking this bread and this cup in full out celebration of our new life in you. You have made us holy. Pray in Jesus' name.